Good morning, Cibolo Creek. I am always pleased to give Kristen Burford the opportunity to share her heart with you when I'm away, or, or even when I'm here. And there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is she loves this church family with all of her heart. She sincerely cares for you and what's happening in your life. She's a shining star on our staff team when it comes to hard work, passion, and discipline for what it is that she does on our behalf. Secondly, she always works so hard to prepare every message she shares when she teaches here at Cibolo Creek. I know because she always asks me for some help, some input, some guidance, and she tells me about parts she's trying to shore up and how much she practices what she's going to share, which for us preachers just looks and sounds a lot like talking to ourselves. And thirdly, Kristen and her husband Doug have been a part of the Cibolo Creek family for over 20 years now. She lives this church and the ministry that we're seeking to accomplish in her home, her community, and her neighborhood. Kristen is vested. For two decades now, she has shown her tremendous loyalty and love for the vision and mission of this church. She's the real deal. And I don't think there's anybody you'd want to hear from more than somebody who has proven their faithfulness to serving you in the name of Christ for all these years. It has been an absolute joy to watch her blossom as a woman called to ministry, and I am privileged to serve alongside of her as my sister in Christ. So please give a warm Cibolo Creek welcome to Kristen Burford as she comes to share with you this morning. Good morning, and I can't wait until he comes back. <laughs> but he's right. Um, I do love you guys, and I love this community that has housed our family for 20-plus years. Um, I'm also grateful to be up here to add to the conversation that we are having about becoming like Jesus. Uh, the heart of becoming like Jesus uh, is discovering or rediscovering the characteristics of Jesus until, until his teachings become like second nature to us. So it goes beyond our head knowledge. Um, if you've heard me teach before, you know that I'm a little bit of a storyteller. I kind of like to start out with a story, but this morning, um, we're not. I'm actually going to go straight into our topic and scriptures um, because this can be a bit of a difficult conversation. So I want to make sure that we get on the other side of hard into the promise or at love wins, as Laura sang uh, earlier today. As the church, the capital C, the big church outside of here as well, we are struggling with this virtue of Christ. It is unique in its truest form to the character of Christ. And we have distorted, we've often misused the call to forgiveness in the manner in which Jesus embodied it. And I propose that it matters probably more than we realize. A few weeks ago, Landon and Stephanie Porter uh, did a conversation with us on the characteristic uh, of being unoffendable. It's a great uh, conversation. If you didn't hear it, please go back and listen. Um, but today, I want to draw a distinction um, we are not talking about being offended today, but we're talking about when somebody wrongs you, 
when somebody sins against you and you are called to forgive them. Um, we're also looking at our own struggle in this area, not somebody else's need to forgive you. So often Sunday morning messages, uh, sometimes we have the tendency to think about what somebody else may need <laughs> from there. And I can say that because I have done that. Um, so today we're going to look at it from our point of view, somebody that needs our forgiveness. So we're going to go back and look at uh, starting with the ancient world. Because back then, um, forgiveness was not really a practiced concept. Rulers conquered and they sought out revenge. Cultures lived in this eye for an eye kind of set of values. And even ancient philosophers and writers and poets um, didn't use language that was consistent with the forgiveness that we know of through Jesus. And as was his character, Jesus then turned that culture upside down. Everything he did offered a different way to a world that needed and still needs today light in the midst of darkness. And Jesus implores us to forgive because he knows that we cannot walk in this world in the way that we were created without it. Without forgiveness, things spin wildly away from Jesus. One of the best definitions that I found as I was studying came from Dr. Timothy Keller, and he says this, forgiveness means giving up the right to revenge, the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you, and it must be recognized that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. And what he means is that forgiveness always costs something. When a wrong is done to us, there is a debt that is owed. And then it's up to us to determine whether we are going to make that person suffer through revenge or through dismissal, or whether we are going to take on that suffering and absorb that pain by offering forgiveness. It costs something. And forgiveness is not a natural human instinct. So because of our different perceptions and experiences, um, it can lead to the misuse of the way that we call people to forgive. And then we add these cultural values on top of all that. And right now there's these cultural pressures that kind of fall into these categories of cheap grace, earned grace, or the one that's growing, and that is removal of all grace or forgiveness. Cheap grace is an encouragement to blindly forgive and forget. We've all heard that before, right? Unfortunately, um, this is often encouraged in churches and in Christian circles. And the result of that can sometimes be where abuse thrives. Where the power differential between the abused and the abuser doesn't change and no justice occurs. And we say things like, I forgave them in my heart. And then there's this cultural pressure to have an earned grace or um, I forgive you if. If they do something to make up for that wrong until we decide that their suffering is enough to cover that wrong. 
The problem is this is also about power, whether we want to recognize that or not. It's our power over that person who's wronged us. And then there's this growing category of no forgiveness at all, where we say things like, only God could forgive that evil. I'm not capable. Or the one that's growing even more is that somehow forgiveness prevents justice. The problem is there's some truth in all of those, but they are all missing the costly forgiveness that we read about in scripture. Dr. Keller also describes forgiveness as having these three necessary dimensions. And that's how we're going to talk about it this morning. There's the vertical, there's God's forgiveness of us and our understanding, our right understanding of what he did for us on the cross. And then there's the internal, our truly granting forgiveness of others, what happens in our soul. And then there's the horizontal, and that's our offer of forgiveness or reconciliation to another person. And the internal, it, to do it right, requires the vertical. And the horizontal can't occur in a healthy manner if the internal doesn't exist authentically. Jesus's forgiveness is an upside down kingdom kind of grace that's always going to be better than what the culture pushes us towards. So let's look at what he says about it. And I'm just going to tell you right now, this com conversation on forgiveness is not going to be complete. It can't be complete in 30 minutes. So it's the start of a discussion, and at the end, I'm going to leave you with some scriptures for you to then go on and learn some more about what Jesus had to say. So today, though, we're going to look at Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And it's this point in time when Jesus is teaching his disciples, including Peter, and he's starting down this process of what you do as a Christ follower when someone has wronged you. And he starts with, you know, go to that person directly, not to all your buddies, go to that person directly. If that doesn't work, take a two or three with you. And he walks through this whole process. And I can just picture Peter as he's listening, his wheels are spinning and he's thinking about this. And that's where we find him when we pick it up in verse 21. And we're going to read verses 21 through 27. Then Peter came up to him and he said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he goes on to tell this parable that essentially lets us know that 77 means indefinite. And he starts the parable this way. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. We learn something right from the start, right in the question itself, because the question itself assumes that there is some point at which I can be unforgiving. 
Peter's question is a little bit selfish. How long do I have to do this process of suffering? How long do I have to, to walk through this mess? And then Jesus begins this parable with these words. Essentially, what would God's kingdom have us to do with forgiveness? And then we learn some things. We learn that there's a king. We learn that there's a servant. And we learn that there's this massive debt. And what he wants us to recognize is that the king in this parable, that's God. And so often we want to move right past that to the talents because it's kind of fascinating. But what we need to remember is not only is God king, he also knows and he names the debt. And it's important that we recognize that because forgiveness starts with truth telling. We have to tell the truth about that debt. And then we see that there's a servant. And so often in scripture, we are compared to sheep or to servants. And more often than not, when that word servant shows up, it shows up in the word bond servant. And it just means a person devoted to their master. And so we're to recognize in this scripture that we are the servant. We are a people to be absolutely devoted to God and his kingdom. And then we have the debt. And this fascinates me every single time. Back then, one talent equaled 20 years worth of wages. So if you do that math, 10,000 equals 200,000 years worth of wages or billions of dollars. So why such a crazy amount? He could have said something high and shocking, but instead he said, he said something absolutely unpayable because he wants us to recognize that that debt that he's talking about is our sin. And that as humans, it was absolutely unpayable without the work of Jesus on the cross. And then we learn that that servant's debt, it didn't just impact him, it impacted his family and his kids, all that he, owe, all that he owned. And there's no, there's no question that there was debt so that also means then that the servant made choices along the way that got himself into this massive debt. He chose it. And yet, he fell before the king and he said, I am sorry. I'll do anything. I just need some time. The reality is there's not enough patience and time that's going to keep that king around for it to be paid off. And there's nothing about his words that make him more capable of paying off that debt. He knows this when he says the words. And the king knows this when he hears the words. So was it his words that made the king take pity on him? No, it was sheer mercy and compassion and kindness and it's interesting because the word pity here is the same word that's often used in place of compassion in scripture. A couple of weeks ago, David Martin introduced us to Matthew 9, 36, which says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's what compels this king to forgive the debt and to absorb it. 
That's what compels King Jesus to take on that debt on our behalf on the cross. It's not as if that debt just suddenly disappeared. The king made the choice to take it on himself and forgive it. And he could have said, I let you go, but you still owe me something. But he didn't. He let him go free because he wanted to restore him back to his original position. That's what Christ does for us in the vertical on the cross. When he takes on our sin that is absolutely unpayable. He forgives it completely, knowing that we are still a helpless people. We see in Luke that the first words he says on the cross are, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What we have to gather from these verses is that that person that wronged you, they're a sinner just like you. They're broken. And we have to recognize that our debt, our sin against God is greater than any single wrong that someone commits against us. We have to change our view of that person who wronged us. That's what the vertical does. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. We don't know the actual timing here, but it sure seems like he was forgiven. And then he went out and found someone who owed him something. And he went out in anger and in vengeance. The king, having forgiven his unforgivable debt, seems not to have changed his character or his heart. And there's a couple things that we have to recognize here that our forgiveness of someone else, it may not change them, but that's not our job. We as a human cannot convict or redeem or transform another human that's up to God. And when something is repeated in scripture, it's purposeful. So we should take note of it. When that second service servant says the exact same plea, have patience with me and I will pay you. It's worthy of our inspection. It's ironic. They both ask for the same thing. One has an unforgivable debt. The other hundred denarii fully forgivable. And that, that first servant, he has the legal right to throw him in jail. That justice would have been justified. Both offered restitution. But what we learn is that when he begged for mercy from the king, it probably wasn't repentance. It was probably to save his own skin. And the outflow of that is what we see that happens. That is the internal. Us granting forgiveness to others so that the justice and the reconciliation that we seek can be fully based on having been forgiven and our own soul utterly transformed. Not based in revenge. The vertical impacts the authenticity of the internal. 
verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went out and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then this master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. It was his fellow servants. It was his community that recognized his hypocrisy, even though he was justified by the law. Do you think he was aware of his witness around him? Do you think we are? When we say we've been forgiven by a savior and then we are unwilling to forgive, Or was this first servant's self-justification, uh, maybe even his anger, causing him to be unaware of the greater impact on those who were watching, those who were observing? They were quick to point out his inconsistency and his hypocrisy. It took him being called back before the king to be reminded of what he had been forgiven and why. He had to be called back before the king to recognize his hypocrisy. Seems crazy, right? But don't we do the same? Don't we sometimes say things like, how could he not forgive her? How could they not forgive me? While at the same time, being unwilling to forgive somebody. The world is watching. The first servant's debt is reinstated and he is handed over to the torturers. Jailers at that time, it's kind of an unfortunate translation. Uh, jailers at that time were really torturers. So the size of their debt, the massive size of that debt means that that servant would be in the hands of those torturers for the rest of their, his life. The purpose of this parable is clear and it's non-negotiable and it's repeated in scripture often. When we forgive somebody, it has to issue from our heart. It has to be sincere. God has forgiven us, so we must not fail sh to show grace to those who have, that need our forgiveness. The horizontal is based on the internal from the heart, and the internal is based on the vertical, our true repentance. What we learn is that that servant probably didn't have a true repentance. He was just saving his own skin, was not transformed. And then in the final verse, it says, so also my heavenly father will do to you, to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We all love the beautiful words of the Lord's prayer. Many of us can repeat it by heart. 
and there's comfort and there's strength in knowing that our father is a good shepherd. He's a God who leaves the 99 for the one. But let's not lose sight of the fact that even in the Lord's prayer, there's a mention of forgiveness twice because he knows it's something that will trip us up. And what we often don't repeat or we don't memorize are the two verses that follow the Lord's prayer, which are exactly the same as the end of Matthew 18. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive yours. Friends, this is not a God abandoning you. He is still the good shepherd that seeks out the one. This is a holy God who wants to see you free from the bondage of unforgiveness. This is a loving and a just God who wants you to put the justice and the reconciliation into his hands and fully trust him with it. This is a relational God who wants you to be restored to a relationship with him so that then you can authentically be restored to relationships with his creation. And sometimes we make those who've wronged us our enemy. What kind of God do we put on display to our watching world when we do that? Is it the God who says, forgive your enemies? So what does forgiveness from your heart mean when we walk out into our Monday lives? In this person of the king, God did four things that Jesus is calling us to do. We have to be willing to name the violation truthfully as wrong and place it in his hands. Not dismiss it, not bury it. The king named the debt. Forgiveness starts with truth telling. Paul in Romans 12, 19 says, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written. Vengeance is mine. And then secondly, We've got to recognize that that person who is hurting you, they're a fellow sinner. There is no difference between them and you in that way. And then the hard part, we have to want for their good. First Thessalonians 5.15, Paul says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. And then third, release the wrongdoer, absorb that debt rather than taking on revenge. This is where what Joe had to say last week about selflessness comes into play, where we have to absorb that pain and that debt, and we have to be willing to say, I'm willing to lay down my life just as Jesus laid down his life for me. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you and me, live peaceably with all. And then last, reconciliation is always the aim. 
God wants you to be reconciled to himself. He wants you to accept the gift of the cross, to be restored in a relationship with him so that you can then authentically be restored in relationship to those that he's created. God is reconciling all things to himself even today. But I want to pause here for just a second. This does not mean that you put yourself back in front of a difficult situation or an abusive situation. We listen to people of wisdom who have put up barriers for that. Counselors, psychologists, keep the barriers in place if they're needed. It doesn't change the work that we are supposed to do in our soul towards forgiveness to offer up that opportunity and be reminded that that person is broken and what happens in their soul is the work of God, not you. Let's go back to Keller's definition. Forgiveness means giving up the right to revenge, the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. It must be recognized that forgiveness is a voluntary form of suffering. It's not cheap grace, it's not earned grace, and it's not the removal of all grace or forgiveness. In an upside down kingdom, Jesus gives us over and over the virtue and the necessity of forgiveness if we are to follow him fully. A couple years ago, I shared a, a portion of my story with you. And I truly believe that our stories and our journeys, they mean something and they are being redeemed for his glory. They have purpose. Mine just happens to be about forgiveness and unforgiveness. As an adolescent, I was abused by a pastor. That pastor went on to serve time in a federal prison because of the truth telling of somebody else. I went on to live my life, get married, have kids. I did counseling through all of that. And at some point in my life, I decided I'm good. I'm just going to let it go. And I should have seen some warning signs of the unforgiveness that still lived in there. The cynicism, some defensiveness, hurting others, hurting myself. And a major red flag when that pastor got out of prison and started another ministry and someone informed me of that, my reaction, it wasn't good. It was revengeful. And then in 2020, when he passed away from COVID, it all came out. All of the bondage of unforgiveness, it spills over. And I don't tell you that story for pity or for tears or emotions, but I tell you that because that was 30 plus years. Don't let it be 30 years. Life is too short to live in the bondage of unforgiveness. It's become crystal clear. It's funny how God puts exclamation points on things when you're teaching. Um, I had a friend who almost lost their son and one that I family that I know of that lost their son. Recently, a college, excuse me, a high school friend had a heart attack and passed away my age. And a couple days ago, we lost our father-in-law, 
Life is too short to live in the bondage of unforgiveness. So often we walk out of these doors and we head into our busy Sunday afternoon and Monday, especially this week with school starting, and we don't take the time to process the words in here. So I have asked a couple of the worship team to come this morning and give us some time. And I want you to do a couple things while they're playing. If all you can do is close your eyes and just listen to the promise of those lyrics, then do that. But if you haven't accepted the freedom that comes from placing your faith in Jesus Christ and saying, I'm weary of carrying around this sin, I want to give it to him. I would consider you to think about that. Or maybe you're in this room and you just have to name the wrong and place it in his hands. You've been unwilling to look at it and it's time to tell the truth about it and to say, I give it to you. Or maybe you've done both those things, but you know in your soul, you know that you have to take that step forward to say, I forgive you. And I see you as a broken individual like me. Close your eyes and listen to these words. Forgiven, forgiven, 
child, there is freedom from all of it. Say goodbye to every sin you are forgiven. six feet under I could have been lost forever yeah I should be in that fire but now there's fire inside of me and here am a dead man walking no graves gonna hold God's people all the weight of all our evil lifted away forever free who could believe, who could believe? Forgiven, forgiven. And you love me even when I don't deserve it. Forgiven, I'm forgiven. Jesus, you makes me innocent so I will say goodbye to every sin I am forgiven promise on the other side of the hard work of forgiveness is freedom. And I stand before you today, I can tell you that if he were here, I could tell that pastor, I forgive you. I see you as broken. It's worth the work. Life is too short to live in unforgiveness. Let's walk out of here and let's take a step towards forgiveness. Whatever that might mean for you, let's show this world a different way because here's the thing. We have an enemy whose most effective tool is getting us to fight the wrong enemy. It is not each other. Let's offer our world a different upside down kingdom kind of way when it comes to forgiveness. And let's be reminded too that we have everything we need to do that. It's hard. But he says, when you accept this work that I've done on the cross, when you lay your sin before me and you say, I trust you. He leaves us with the Holy Spirit. It is the same Holy Spirit that we read about in Romans 8, 11 that says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. When in our humanness, we think I can't, you can, you just have to grab hold of that Holy Spirit. That's the promise. 
the Gospel of John, it says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome this world. Love wins. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that you sent a savior that carries all of our debt. Lord, we're grateful that we can gather in this room and have hard conversations and reminders that we are a witness to the world, that you do your work through us. Lord, we come before you knowing that it's hard. There's a lot of things that happen in this world that are hard to forgive. And we ask for your strength and your guidance. And we just call upon that Holy Spirit that you leave with us. And Lord, we just ask that you would remind us as we walk into our Monday lives that we would take this with us. Lord, you know all the stories in this room. You know all of the hurt and the unforgiveness that's here today. And you hold it in your hands and you say, you've forgiven, therefore you can forgive. Help us hold on to that. We ask these things in your name. Amen. As I said at the beginning, this is a beginning of a conversation. These are scriptures. If you want to pull out your phone and take a picture of that to continue to do some work around forgiveness, it's not a one-time conversation. Feel free to do that. If you have accepted Christ or you want to, please reach out to one of the pastors. We would like nothing more than to walk you through what's next in that. And then as Lana mentioned earlier, if you're new, come say hi. We would just love to meet you. Take forgiveness out into your Monday lives and have a great week, everybody. You're dismissed.